If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look a little bit, a little bit of Ephesians 4 and think about groups and, and uh, how we can grow. And if, any of you ever been to the mall or you've been someplace big and they have these signs, these directories, and you're kind of looking at it. And one of the first things that you're looking at on those directories is you're looking on there and you want to find the spot that says, you are here, right? And so when you know that you're here, you kind of know where you're at and then you can know where you're going to go or you're trying to find the right spot. And so if you're like my family, we go and we find we are here and we know how we can disperse and find each other on the way back. And so this morning I want you to, to think about that you are here in this spot and where does God want you to go so you can grow? And one of the places that he wants you to go is to get involved in a life group and hopefully not a life group like the one that we saw, but a life group that is where truly you are going to be doing life together and you have those opportunities and those moments to talk about life and to do life together. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we're going to kind of pull back the curtain on what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be involved in a church. So um, sit back and listen for a little bit. If you are a Christian and you're involved in church, this is something I want you to, to think about and maybe rethink about what does it mean to do life together and to, to truly iron sharpening iron and what that really looks like. So if you have your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we're going to read that here in just a second. So I know you know I've been here almost two and a half months, and um, one of the things you didn't know about me is that I can juggle. I haven't revealed this to you yet, but I can juggle. And... Um, I'm really good at juggling. And not only do I juggle these type of things, but I juggle my schedule and my calendar and the tasks and things that I do. And so, so you can see, man, I'm really good at this, right? And so when my kids were younger, we had something like this around, and I would juggle and try to kind of entertain them. And, and those of you that are really good jugglers, you can see, man, I'm good at this, right? One day, my kids figured something out. I actually have a trick to my juggling. And have you noticed it yet? No. What? I keep one in my hand, right? I'm not able to make that shift. And so one day, my daughter and my son figured it out. And so my daughter told Landon, hey, look, he only, that one just kind of stays there and he's moving it around. Because I've never been able to figure out how to get this over here. We live life that way. We do things and we add things to our calendar and our schedule and we're juggling and we try to convince ourselves that we're doing a good job of juggling so that if nobody really notices that we're kind of hiding some of the stuff that we're juggling, we're not doing a real good job, or sudden, all of a sudden somebody wants to see something, we kind of shift that one over and we juggle a few other things. And, and in life, we, we try to pretend that we can do all things. We can be all things to all people, and we truly can't. And so as a pastor, especially as a pastor at a new church, one of the things that I want to do is to show you that I can do all things because that's what you want from me. But listen, I have specific gifts, I have specific talents, there's things that I do well, there's things that I don't do well. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is I can pretend to juggle all I want. But at some point, if I keep adding things to my task list and my ministry list, eventually something's going to fall. And it's going to hurt. That's why as a body, it's not just on me, but it's on all of us. That some of you can juggle a couple of things and you're better at juggling some things than I am. And you have better, you're better gifted and better talented in some of those areas. And so this morning as we think about groups and we think about church and what a healthy church looks like, I want you to get this image of, listen, Chris cannot juggle well. So that all of us together have to be able to juggle to be a healthy body, to be a healthy church. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11, starting in verse 11. Now this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and so as he's writing all kinds of different issues, and here he's been talking about unity in the body of Christ and unity in the body in the church, specifically in Ephesus. And so as he begins there, he starts about verse 11, he kind of stops for a second, he says, listen, each one of us are gifted in different ways. So some are teachers, some are evangelists, and so this is where he's at. He's talking about the different giftedness, gifts within the church. Here it goes. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, which were the early ones, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And there's other lists of other giftings, but here he's, he's talking about those that are in, kind of in leadership of the church. Here's those that are in leadership of the church. Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Let's stop there. That word equip carries this idea of, of resetting a bone. So if you go to the doctor and you have something that's out of place, you know it's out of place. Have you ever seen somebody that's broken a bone and it's out? What do they do? They snap it back into place. Why? Because you don't want to walk around with your leg hanging out. And you want that doctor to do it correctly. You want them to put it in the right place so that whenever it heals, it actually becomes stronger. And so this idea of equipping is as a doctor and as a pastor, teacher, evangelist, what we're doing as leaders of the church is that we're equipping, we're resetting those that are broken. We're joining with God and resetting what's broken. We're mending nets for the purpose of restoring to original condition and to be made complete. So this idea of equipping is that there are those that are called to be pastors, evangelists, teachers, and their main task is that they're to bring together those that are broken and to mend those spots in their life that are broken so that they can be made whole again and they can accomplish what God has for them, to mend the nets, to restore the broken bones so they can be made complete and returned to the original part. Why? so that the body of Christ can work together and be built up. Now, this word work means that there's got to be work to be done. And so there's some tools, and I think they're in your notes, some tools for this work. The first tool of the work is studying the Bible. In 2 Timothy, you see this idea of that whenever we read the, God of, the Word of God, that whenever we read it and participate with it, then it brings change for us, for correction, rebuke, training in righteousness, so the more time that we spend in that, you're developing those muscles and you're getting to know God a little bit better, to know his will. The other tool of work and of building up the church is not only studying the Bible, but also prayer. That we have this opportunity to spend time with God and to communicate with him. And, and listen, what I want to challenge you to do is when you pray, is that throughout scripture, it talks about prayer is consistent. So whenever I talk to Becky... We're just sitting across from the table, we're talking, or we're somewhere in the car, we're talking, we're doing life together. But that is the image that you should have for prayer, is that you're just in constant communication. Hey God, this is what's going on. That it's not this moment of just like you have to stop everything and pray. Yes, those are important times, but more often than not, this consistent prayer of just saying, hey God, here's what's going on, here's what I'm thinking, what are you thinking? And begin to have this dialogue with God and allow Him to to allow you to just listen to his heart and him to listen to your heart. And that's the idea of prayer, studying the word and of praying. The other thing, the other work and tool of work is testing. We talked about that a few weeks ago in James um, chapter 1, this idea that, that God allows us to be tested. And that the testing is it allows the, the fire of life to kind of light up. 
And so if every, any of you have ever been in some of those moments of testing, maybe this is a moment of testing in your life where the, the heat of life begins to heat up and you realize, hey, something's going on. And you realize that, hey, I'm beginning to sweat and it's getting hot in here. And what God is doing in those moments is he's testing you as the heat begins to rise, the impurities, the impurities of who you are begin to come to the top. For this idea of testing is, is removing the impurities of the metals so that as it begins to heat up, it gets really, really hot. And so the impurities of your life begin to rise to the top. And then all of a sudden it kind of spills out. And God's able to just wipe over the top and say, listen, that's gone. Let's kind of go back to new and, and work on that again. So this idea of testing. And then one of the words, the other tools for, um, for growing and working is this idea of suffering. And it's one that we don't really like, one that we don't really talk about a whole lot. And a lot of times if you listen to people on TV, pastors on TV, they're not going to talk about suffering. They're going to talk about suffering as saying that if you are suffering, that it means that you're in sin against God. Well, listen, God uses suffering and allows suffering to grow us. So the tools of working and building up the body of Christ are spending time in his word and praying and dialoguing with him. And then those tests that whenever the heat rises up, the impurities go away. And even in these moments of suffering, Listen, I want you to hear this. Church is not about attendance, but participation. Church is not about attendance, but participation. That whenever you are built up and restored, it's so you can go out and do things again. When someone gets hurt, the reason they go to the doctor and they get mended and restored and the bone gets put back to place is not so they can go sit, but so they can go do and be a part of. And so what Paul is saying to us is, listen, you are called, there, there's this, these people within the church that are equipping you, resetting you, getting you back to the place of condition of being able to go out and to serve and to do so that we can be the body of Christ. The body of Christ doesn't just happen here on Sunday morning, but the body of Christ gathers here so that we can go throughout the week. The body of Christ, the church, is a movement of God, not a sitting of God. So this idea of being equipped so that we can go out and we can do church is not about attendance, but about participation. Look in verse 13. So there was, let's, let's go back to 12. Their, their responsibility is to equip, to restore to a new way, a new condition, so that God's people can do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue. This is a continual action always going on until we all come to such unity in our faith and this is the knowledge that we're gaining, that as we gather together, as you study God's Word, is one of those tools, you kind of get a foundation for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be made mature in the Lord. This idea of knowledge is, is a, not just a head knowledge, but it's an experiential knowledge. So not about you, but you've been in those places where you're sitting across from someone and you're talking about your faith and you're sharing your faith and, and they are not a follower of Jesus. And so you're trying to describe to them what it means and what it was like in that moment when you said yes to Jesus. And not about you, but those, those moments where I just need to say, hey, God, can you remind me of those moments of when we've been extremely intimate, especially that moment when I said yes to you for the first time. And that moment of saying yes to you for what the experience happen on the inside, that this peace that passes understanding, that they're just, for me in that moment, they're just this overwhelming weeping and acknowledgement of the fact that I couldn't even put anything into words, but I knew that I knew that I knew in my soul that I'd encountered a living God, and I was transformed from that moment. And so unless you've experienced that, you can't understand it. 
And so you're sitting there across from someone and you're talking and you're sharing your story and you're saying, listen, finally you just come to this point and you say, listen, I can talk to you about it until we're blue in the face. But until you taste and see that the Lord is good, you cannot know. There's this knowledge, this is experiential knowledge. And as we grow in our faith and as God allows us to be tested, as we go through suffering, the more time that we spend time with him, the deeper that knowledge and understanding is because he just continues to reveal himself to us over and over. And as we get to a deeper experiential knowledge of him that we want to be even more obedient, we want to be even more faithful, we want to be even more risky, we want to be even more foolish for the cause of Christ because we've seen over and over and over again that he meets our needs, that he takes care of us. He's not going to abandon us. But until you experience it, there's no way that you can understand it. And that's what Paul is talking about here is, listen, there's, there's some basic knowledge that your pastor can give to you. There's some basic knowledge that you can gain from an experiencing God study or from a Sunday school class or a small group or a life group. But until you experience what God is talking about, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to be made mature. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be made mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In a couple of weeks, Lawrence will be turning 16. That's scary. You know why one of the reasons it's scary? It's because she thinks she's going to get a car, <laughs> or at least access to a car without another adult in there telling her to watch out. She's reached a place where the law says that she's mature enough to take a vehicle around this town. Okay, I'm going to text everybody. Hey, October 14th, 7 a.m., she's driving to school. Clear the streets. Listen, I worked with students long enough to know that just because you turn 16 doesn't mean you're mature enough to drive a car. There's some 10-year-olds that are mature enough. There's some 30-year-olds that still aren't mature enough. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? What Paul is saying is, listen, there's some basic knowledge that you've got to have. There's some experiences that you're going to experience so that you come to a place where you can kind of go out and you can begin to do things on your own. Church is not about attendance. You can attend church for 30 years and never mature in your faith in Christ. It doesn't have anything to do with age. It has to do with experience and gaining the knowledge. The purpose of equipping is so that we can do life together and experience life so that we can become mature. This idea of knowing and growing together. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be like immature children. This is immature is an idea of ones that can't even talk yet. They can't even speak. They're still drinking milk. And as we know that maturity has nothing to do with age, we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of every new teaching. In other words, that we'll, we'll be, we will not be able to be manipulated. So as we hear teaching, so maybe you listen to something on the radio, you hear something on TV, or you, you kind of get a new Bible study and you begin to go through it, that as you begin to study it and look at it, you're, you're able to hear the truths, and you're not, able, you're not manipulated by things that are part truth, but aren't full truth. You're not tossed and moved about by all these new teachings, that you're not tricked. We will not be influenced 
when people try to trick us with lies, with clever lies that sound like truth. That literally this idea of a, a rigged dice game. I've never played dice. I don't understand it. I'm, I know that I can't gamble because I won't make money. But it's the idea of Paul saying, listen, that you, you're playing a trick dice game, that someone has dice and every time they're going to roll. Is it snake eyes? Is that good? I have no idea. So not snake eyes. So whenever you roll at the dice, that it's going to be exactly what they want because they've already manipulated the dice in such a way that they're going to win. And you've joined in this game and you've bought into the lie that you're going to win. And so whether that's, whatever that is for you, that as he rolls the dice, you think, man, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. And all of a sudden you lose and you look back and you go, how in the world did I buy in to that lie? You were deceived, you were tricked. There was just enough truth, just enough truth that you were deceived by it. Listen, there's teachings going on around the world in our churches that are just enough truth that people are buying into them. To be a follower of Jesus, it hasn't changed in thousands of years. You can't earn your salvation. You can't give them more money to earn salvation. You can't do good works. It is truly all about Jesus dying on the cross and saying yes to him. It seems like foolishness to everyone. But unless you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you don't understand. Our natural desire is to earn our salvation. That's why every other religion in the world says you have to do this, this, and this to earn it. And Jesus says, listen, just believe that I died for you and received this free gift. It's easy. We want our kids to become mature. I want Lauren to feel safe. So as I've been teaching her how to drive, one of the things is as best you can, Put your kids in situations so as they're driving. Say, hey, what are you doing? And we're talking about different situations. As a car begins to pull up, I ask her, what are you thinking? She's telling me what she's thinking because it's a safe place. I'm, I'm giving her opportunities to grow and to be maturing. Listen, as parents, that's our desire as well, is that one day the law says at 18 they're going to graduate high school. Right about that time they're going to graduate high school and they're gone. Listen, I've, already, I've got my boot ready. At 18, you're graduating, you're gone. Good luck, have fun. And along the way, I'm providing experiences so that you know on a basic way how to handle life. Hopefully in the old days, they used to teach you how to balance your checkbook. Does anybody have a checkbook anymore? Very few of us. So, but we're still teaching those principles, right? Balance the checkbook. In other words, you should have more coming in than you have going. Okay, there you go. We got it. Good. All right, you need a place to live. Find some place that you can afford put gas in the car, insurance, all these different things. And so you want your children to get to a place where they can function partly as an adult. What does it look like for us as followers of Jesus? Where do we get to this place of maturity? One of the things is beginning to know the basics of the faith. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Who is God and what is he requiring of us? Understanding that just gathering here on Sunday is not enough. That you need to be in a place where you can be in a group and you can do life together and, and truly ask some of those deep questions over time that you get to know one another. That you can even begin to see maybe even the way that people walk and even in their face that, hey, there's something going on. And be able to ask that question, how are you doing? And when they come back saying, fine, you can go, okay, you're lying. You're lying to me. And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes us being able to have those opportunities to do life and to struggle together, to laugh together, to ask some of those deep questions. Think about whenever God was talking to the early, early church to Israel and he said, listen, wherever you go, talk about me. Wherever you go, there's an opportunity to share about your faith. 
whenever we're, we're trying to do stuff. So that means whenever you're in the kitchen and you're cooking and you're doing something, you're talking about faith, you're talking about different stuff. Listen, this is one of the main reasons I think that children and young people are leaving the church because there's a huge disconnect between what parents do on Sunday and what parents do throughout the week. And that we talk about church, we put on a good game for church, we clean up for church, we put on our masks for church, and we pretend that everything's okay, and then during Monday through Saturday, our life is literally a living hell. And the parents don't like each other, we're fighting, we're arguing, and we're just trying to survive instead of thrive. And the reason I believe is because we are not maturing in our faith, we're not being honest with where they're at, and listen, it doesn't mean that we're perfect but that we're growing and we're striving and that we've got some safe places to say, hey, here's where I'm at, here's who I am, and this is where God's got me on my journey. Those of you that are checking out this faith thing, checking out this Christianity, or you're new to the faith, that's the reason you need to be in a group. Is because if you're coming here on Sunday morning thinking that you're going to get a buffet, you're going to get just enough to get you going, and you've got to feed yourself throughout the week. So on Monday, you've got to get a snack. On Tuesday, you've got to get a snack. On Wednesday, you've got to get a snack. And so you personally have to begin to see how you can open up the Word of God and make yourself something to eat that it can't be totally dependent on Sunday morning. This is just to get you started. This is just to give you a taste so you can say, listen, I want more of that. So throughout the week, begin to ask those around you that maybe they've been followers for a longer time and say, listen, how are you growing in your faith? How are you opening up God's word and getting to know him? How are you praying? I, I want to be real and vulnerable. How do you have friendships where you can tell people something and you know that you know that you know that they're going to love you and care for you and not judge you? What does that look like in the world today? You constantly need to be reminded of the truth. Because the truth can easily sound just a little bit of a morsel of the truth can be twisted to get something that they want. Verse 15. Instead of being tricked, instead of being lied to, instead of being influenced by a crazy dice game, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, your church. Listen, I've been in church long enough that there are those that have used this passage to be able to just walk up to somebody and tell them what they think, that they've had a judgment and they just want to tell them because they feel like that they're, they're not meeting up to whatever standards that they got. This is not what this passage is talking about, is walking up and saying, hey, I noticed something in your life and just boom. This idea of speaking the truth in love is that you personally live your life in such a way that they look at you and go, wow, I want to get to know that person. I want to submit my life under that person because they're further along in their walk with Jesus. I see Jesus in them. And because I see Jesus in them and the way that they live, the way that they walk, the way that they love, I want to, to grow like them. Paul said it this way, imitate me as a follower of Jesus. Now that's a bold proclamation. How many of us in here would say, imitate me. If you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, imitate me. That's what Paul is talking about here. Is live your life in such a way that you love, live, talk, the walk, so that people see you and they examine you and they're watching you. And so that even in the darkness, wherever you're at, that people are watching and looking and they're seeing and saying, listen, he proclaims to be a follower of Jesus. Is he really a follower? I'm going to watch him for a little bit. I'm going to examine. I'm going to put him under a microscope and want him to know what he says. Does he walk it? 
What she says, does she walk it? Whenever life gets hard, do they walk it? And if, that's that, if they're following that Jesus and this Jesus is really that transformational, then I want that Jesus. Because I can see that it's transforming them and I want to submit my life under that person's life because they are walking the talk. To be so that person can then come alongside and say, listen, you've given me an opportunity to speak some truth and love. Then you can share. Too many times, church, we pass judgment instead of allowing ourselves to speak the truth in love. This is a bold proclamation to say, listen, imitate me. If you look at my life, every aspect of my life that you can see Jesus, that people want to submit under you and say, listen, I love your Jesus because of the way that you love others, because of the way that you walk, the way that you talk. I want that Jesus. You ever been around some people that you just you've been around it for just a little bit, and they, man, you're just like man, they ooze God. God just like it. whenever there's stress and, and testing that kind of squeeze them out, and instead of the impurities that so many, so many times comes out of us, that they just ooze God, and you're just like man, I just I need to be around those people more often because there's something about them that just ooh, I want that. The juices of God just kind of outflows out of their heart. That they're a sponge and they're soaking it up and they're just, it's like they've got too much and just, I want to be in the vat. Imitate me. Imitate me as I follow Jesus. That should be our call so that we can, people would come to know and say, listen, I don't even know what you got, but I want it. I don't know what you've got, but I want it. The Jesus that you've got. Verse 16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. You remember those days when you had, I didn't have Barbies, but others had Barbies or you had some of those dolls, G.I. Joe men and stuff like that. And guys, after a little bit of playing with that stuff, what did we do? We break them apart, right? And guess what? They never go back together the same way. They never work the same. Once you, you play with them for a little bit and you kind of get bored with it and you're like, I wonder if we can do this. And so then you got all these different body parts and then you kind of shove them back together and never work the same way. This is the beauty of the church is, listen, we are some weird people. And God is saying, listen, I have fit this body together perfectly. Look around this room. All of us have different backgrounds, different experiences, different places we've all come from. And God's saying, listen, I put Second Baptist Church together to fit together perfectly. And you have got work to be doing. And, and it is beautiful what this church is. You look at the burst of action and you go, we're not very beautiful. <laughs> right? God says, listen, I've called each one of you to be here, to be a part of this body and to fit together because I have a purpose and mission for you. He makes the body fit together perfectly. Listen to this. As each part does its own special work. Each one of you are called here to do a special work. There's things that you can do that you can think of, that you can dream of, God's given you dreams, would never cross my mind. Some of you have skills and talents and gifts that I can't even, couldn't even begin. 
Listen, God's called you here to fit perfectly into the body of Christ and He has work for you to do. Church is not about attendance, but it's about you getting busy and active for what God has for you. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Listen. God has called us all to be here. And He wants us to be interconnected. Some of you are getting in groups for the first time and you're looking around and you're going, man, this person's way much further along than I do. There's, I, they're going to be talking way over my head. Listen, you need to be in those places. Get involved. Find a place to be in a life group and a group on Sunday morning. Find a place that you can begin to grow and be challenged. Find a place during the week. Find a place that you can serve. Begin to say, listen, I need to, I need to find a place. Experiment with where God might want you to be serving. Because listen, as a body of Christ, we cannot be who God has called us to be. We cannot fully do the vision and mission that God has for our church if someone's sitting out. A few years ago, I was playing uh, slow pitch softball with a group of guys, and I was kind of the fill-in, and um, scheduling stuff. And so games were on Sunday night. One night I was there, and I was, I was playing. I was batting, you know, slow pitch. Anybody can play so, slow pitch fastball, right? Okay. So anyway, so we're playing this team, and most of these guys that we were playing, I found out afterwards, had played college or pro ball, and so they were killing us, okay? First inning, it's like 15 to nothing or whatever, and because uh, we were a bunch of older guys that thought you, we used to be athletes. And so these guys are killing. Well, they had this guy that had been a, a pro pitcher, and so he was pitching it in there, and I'm there, and so I fouled a couple off or something. And here comes this one, and i would learned his method is once he'd get two strikes, he'd kind of do a quick, quick pitch. So you're kind of there relaxing, but if you're in the box, he's, he's throwing it. So I was like, I'm ready for this. I'm, I've watched. And he throws it, whew, and I don't know what he did, but I'm watching it, and I'm watching it. I was like, hey, he's going to hit me. He's going to hit me. And sure enough, man, bam, right on my pinky toe. Now, no one in slow pitch, even if you get hit, you don't get a base. I know that. But I was joking with the ump, and I was like, hey, see, I'm taking my base, you know, going down. I was like, oh, man, that kind of hurts. So I came back to bat and got, ended up getting on base. And as I'm standing on first base, I'm like, man, my toe hurts. That, that kind of stings a little bit. And I mean, I literally, slow pitch fastball, whoosh, here it comes. I'm watching it. I don't even move, and it hits get home later on that night and I take off my shoe and my pinky toe is ganjo. I break my toe playing slow pitch fastball. Do you know that I'd never thought about my pinky toe before? Who thinks about their pinky toe? Nobody. But for a month, even now sometimes when it gets cold, I feel my pinky toe. And I walked with a limp because of my pinky toe. Listen, you may think that you're the pinky toe of Second Baptist. But you're extremely important. And if you're not doing your job as the pinky toe, then we're walking with a limp. We're hurting. And it's obvious. Listen, when I was walking with a limp because of my pinky toe, people go, what's wrong? My pinky toe hurts. They're like, you big baby. I know, but it's broke. Listen, we cannot accomplish the mission of a church even if the pinky toe is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Find a place. Get in a group. 
get involved so that we can be all that we can be as Second Baptist Church in LaGrange, Texas. Let's pray together. Father, we're easily convinced that we're not needed. That someone else can do it. And so many times there's a church like this and at other churches there's a handful of people that are doing 80% of the work. Father, I just pray that as those in this room, as they just begin to think about where, where you have them, where their, their talents, their gifts, their passions, that, Father, that they find a place to sit in a row, find a place to serve, find a place to be in a group and to grow. For, Father, may they, they may think that they're the pinky toe, but they're extremely important to the mission of God. Father, may you burden each one of us with what you have for us. No matter how insignificant we may think it is. Father, may we be able to say, imitate me and taste and see that the Lord is good. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.